Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Normie Frenia. Uh, some very unique changes this episode. Uh, we have a substitute host, JT Davis. Say hello, JT Davis. Hello, everyone. And our first guest ever, uh, you may know her as Inauthentic Consistent on Instagram. Uh, say hello, Marsha. Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, some other changes Thanks this week. Um, there will be there will be no movie of the week this week because the movie critic watched a movie so bad that he had to go to the hospital. Um, thoughts and prayers with him this th- week. Thoughts and prayers with him this week. I guess that's as good a movie review as any. Don't watch the movie that he watched or you will go to the hospital. Um, this week we have a very interesting topic from a very interesting person. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Theorygram and the surrounding world of Instagram political extremism. Um, before we start, I think it would be fun to go around and say the arbitrary labels that apply to our each, each uh, person on the show right now's uh, personal philosophy and beliefs. Uh, if you would like, if you would like to start, Marsha, give us a brief rundown um, of your uh, personal beliefs. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I think what would describe me right now the best uh, would be some sort of like um, Catholic anar- anarchism, I guess. I think okay. this is what captures it best. All right. Um, with a focus, I guess, on anti-consumerism and yeah, I guess that's 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 all that's right. The thing. And Mr. Davis, give us a brief synopsis <laughs> of your beliefs. I am completely politically apathetic, but um, I believe that people have a choice to either be consumerist or be more natural in their way of acting, and I think both of those choices of lifestyle should be honored and appreciated. I don't think that uh, consumerism is necessarily good for us, but uh, people who are going to be consumers are always going to be consumers. So I think personally, if I had a choice, I'd be out in the middle of the woods eating berries and such. But that's not everyone's belief, and I don't want to put that on anyone else. That's, That's real good, JT Davis. And honestly, I think if I had to uh, summarize mine, I would, I would say it's a sort of a mix of both of yours. Uh, I'm also very obviously Catholic for anyone who knows me, and uh, I'm also very anti-consumer. But I'm also pretty well aware that I can't make anyone do any specific thing. But yeah, Catholic uh, distributist anarchism is is the arbitrary buzzwords i would attach to myself if uh, if i if i had to uh that going forward from that um a lot of these buzzwords that we have picked up i think a lot of us have learned from instagram uh whether by choice or uh just doom scrolling a little bit <laughs> and uh marsha i believe one of the first things we ever talked about uh after the first time you ever screenshotted and reposted one of my stories the the post about gun control where i said 
IQ in the single digits. And you said that was that was an insult that you would be using from now on. Uh, how uh, you you mentioned that you you view a lot of internet extremism from a sort of like fly on the wall, uh, just observer. Uh, how do you think that has impacted you in your beliefs and how you view people of other beliefs? I don't know. I think I've always had this. Um point of view that people have certain certain beliefs out of um, their particular reasons, the environment that they grew up in. And uh, I'm not, um, you know, Mr. Davis has pointed out that he would never force anyone into being anti-consumerist or any of that. Uh, and of course, I agree. Uh, I, I, the the, the part of anarchism is especially that that we are not supposed to force anyone like coerce anyone into anything so i think we agree more than it might appear um at at first um okay so that uh but people are people are just being people <laughs> um i'm not I, I try to abstain from marking anyone as good bad or things just are uh in all colors and i think that's also kind of cool and uh, frustrating often frustrating but still overall pretty cool I think. uh do you think you have and and JT, you can answer this question as well. Uh, do you think that interacting with people both similar and opposed to you uh, through means of social media has changed your beliefs or reinforced them more? Uh, for me personally, I I think I have like overeducated myself, and I was in like this weird like quagmire of beliefs that almost conflicted each other probably from ages like 17 to 20 uh for reference i turned 22 a few days ago and only recently have i like boiled down a lot of the like over education i subjected myself to and oversaturation in very loud uh very loud, often un also uneducated or overeducated voices. So, like, how, how has observing people online, both similar to and opposed to you, impacted your beliefs that you started with when you entered that realm of internet? Uh, uh, Marsha, you can go first if you'd like. Well, um, I'm quite older than you, <laughs> um, so I entered the internet uh, a while back, and I've swapped my beliefs like all over the spectrum. Um, so, in some sense, it has uh, at some point uh, it has reinforced my beliefs, but it has also corrected what I believe at various points in time, but um, I think my first interaction with Theory Graham um, kind of like, I think it 
the 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 status part in me was um reduced due to theory gram so um it's a it's a mix of both actually yeah um but overall right now uh talking to people uh in this state of mind in which i am right now it it does reinforce what i believe in so i think all right, and Mr. Davis? I think interacting with people online has certainly reinforced my beliefs, but not because they agree with me. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent against cognitive dissonance. And the fact that we exist and we have minds that can uh, cognate around ideas and opinions and all that as we grow up, we're going to gain different opinions that contradict with each other. It's just because we are naturally sponges and we are also very neutral sponges at the end of the day. We aren't born with one particular sway, one or the other, right or left or up or down or whatever. And the fact that we will be around people who are one way or the other we will eventually run into cognitive dissonance and people get stuck in that rut a lot. And that's why niche little communities form online is because the mind does not like cognitive dissonance at all. It hates it. So it either ignores what it is dissonant toward, or it will try to boil down its own beliefs until they become very simplistic and rigid and also exclusionary of other people. And I think that's why uh, very fringe ideas become more and more extreme towards other people because the more you boil down a belief, the less you want to listen to other people's beliefs because it's like you need to keep out any dissonance. So being able to be neutral and look at people, um, it's definitely helped my spiritual growth because I can completely understand why these people are the way they are. You know, They grow up, they enter the internet, and they want to be someone cool. And becoming political or becoming um, an ideologue it doesn't just have to be for like righteous reasons or anything. It's usually not. It's just because you want to fit in. And because you want to fit in, it's like a gateway drug into wanting to literally be that. Um, it goes from as simple as like dating somebody with opposing beliefs to eventually becoming a hardcore proponent of those beliefs just because you were with somebody who believed that thing. And it's interesting to see how people can devolve or digress into those beliefs. And personally, I think, I think opinions and beliefs are terrible. I think we should all have a, an even-keeled mind with nothing going on. But that is an ideal world. And it's also a world that isn't practical. Everybody's going to hold beliefs and they will clash, and that's part of the human experience. And to be able to see that people... We'll try to boil down their beliefs into something that is very buzzwordy, like anarcho-Catholic <laughs> distributism. You know, it's it's a very long buzzword, but it's because the more you try to boil down what you think is correct, the worse it gets grammatically, and that also applies to the opposite side of the fence to people who are. In the LGBT community, they want to have different pronouns and be called different ways because it's just a matter of a continuous 
dilution of something that isn't there in the first place, which is that original ideal. Okay. Uh, I do I do want to tell you guys, uh, I, I know I've been asking a lot of questions, but I, I, we can make this more conversational if, if you guys want to ping off of each other as well. I don't mm-hmm. want to. I don't want to make it feel uh, very. Uh, I want to say uh, centered around me yeah. asking questions. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily want to go interviewer. So if you guys want to bounce off of each other, that's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, I would like to. I would like uh, to add something. I guess because like. Um, yeah, go go JV for it. Go for it. With um, a claim that he is essentially a political or what was it? Correct me if I'm wrong. Which was it? Well, politically yeah, apathetic. Uh, I'm not sure if that exists. Actually, I think everything that you do, everything in in like uh, everything that you consume or or watch or each of these things, like as you put your money, attention, time towards it, you are reinforcing a certain way of being, a certain. Uh, value system and all of that so I think there is nothing that is essentially apolitical in in like a broader sense so but yeah defining what I yeah that's a a good point and it's uh, it's true because you know everybody's going to hold beliefs in some regard and those beliefs are going to be categorized one way or another I think what I'm saying is that I'm not any certain way because I want to fit into a political niche. It's that the things I believe just happen to fit into those niches. And usually they are diametrically opposed. Like um, you can believe that abortion is immoral, or you can also believe that um, you shouldn't have to pay taxes, or you should believe that uh, billionaires should be taxed more, or migrants should be allowed to cross the border. You know, and you know those beliefs. Usually, what I'm saying is that when somebody holds a belief, they want to hold similar beliefs that fit into a niche. And I'm saying that I personally am not a part of that niche. Is that I have I have beliefs, sure, I have I have opinions, but they are not done so that I can be political. But yeah, at the end of the day, they're going to be political in some regard. Especially if I voice my opinion, it's going to sway other people, or it won't sway other people. And that'll either reinforce or disengage their own personal beliefs. So yeah, I mean, it's the same way you could say everything is religious for the same reason. Now, um, JT, uh, you uh, have previously told me and probably a few other people uh, how uh, particularly group chats on Instagram, especially, uh, function for you uh, while while also, while being a group chat of people that you would probably call friends. Uh, they are. They also serve a goal of being a social experiment of watching people interact. Uh, can oh, yeah. you speak more to that? Sure, of course. Um, you know, when you get into a group of any regard, doesn't matter if it's online or in person, you start to become like one with the group, and that is the overarching nature of consciousness. Is that it's not singular. It's not finite in one location. It is everywhere at one time. So the more of one consciousness that gathers, the more they become one. That's why, you know, people who grew up together, you know, they can finish each other's sentences and they can predict each other's movements and actions and they can feel where each other are at. You know? And the same kind of goes with groupthink in that when 
people, especially in a group chat, because it's very, it's not personal at all. They're not connected together. They're just kind of bouncing off a wall in their own mind. And the wall happens to be shaped like somebody that they think they know online. You know, they, even us, we're talking to each other, but really we're just, we're hearing our phone speak to us or we're hearing our computer speak to us. And we try to base ideas off of what we hear and what we see. And I noticed that in a lot of group chats, the reason why I call them science experiments half the time is because something will happen. Somebody who is mildly popular in said group chat will do something that is a little funny and it'll get like seven likes or like 10 likes or something ridiculous. And people will be like, oh, that's really funny. I'm going to also jump on that. And after like five minutes, the conversation is completely derailed into making funny haha jokes or um, people will argue over the most mundane, inane stuff ever. And they will completely argue over it and they'll break apart friendships. They'll block each other just so they never have to talk to these people again, even though, again, they're only you know, reflections in their phone. But they will get so mad at these people. They'll block them. They'll, they'll stop talking to them over like politics or like drama or something. And I think that's it is a science experiment because I get to see how other people are acting in real time without personally attaching myself to what they are, that I'm not attached to them like everybody else in that group chat is, that they're all bouncing off of each other. I'm just kind of sitting back and watching. Now, of course, I'm not like, I don't know, a, a scientist or I'm not separated from the lab rats. I'm also part of it, obviously. They're my friends. I speak to them. I engage in the same banter. But being able to step back consciously it's kind of a gift that you need in group chats and yeah, also other I groups. Yeah, I don't really like. I don't really like group chats. Yeah, I, I, I jump in um, precisely, precisely because they are so impersonal. Go for it. And I've been part of a few group chats, but um, they turn out to be uh, unproductive in various ways. Um, so yeah, um, I, I remember a while ago I was in a group chat with some people and there was this other girl, um, along with me. I forgot who she was. I'm so sorry <laughs> if she's listening to this, I'm sorry. Um, but for some reason she got really mad at me and started like insulting me and all of that. Um, and I didn't really understand why. But then I figured that it must have been, like, uh, threatening her uh, special social status. So <laughs> then, I, then, I, then I exited that group chat. And I think she blocked me afterwards. I don't know. I don't think. But just nodded you spoke of that. So, and... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's part of, like, parasocial relationships. Like, at least in person. If you have drama with somebody, there's like a reptilian brain threat of violence somewhere. Like you could be really mad at somebody, but somewhere in your mind, you know, this could devolve into a brutal fight for my life. Like it's not a conscious part of your mind, but there's something there that, you know, tigers and lions, they fight each other for their prime alpha position in their pack. We don't, we just yell at each other and we call each other names to try to degrade their own social status to boost ourselves and that sort of boost <laughs> and that um 
that monkey mental image that we had from being animals has carried over into being very social creatures who now try to carry that over into like group chats and stuff and doing the same thing online, but there's no threat of violence. You can do whatever you want online. You can say whatever you want, think however you want. You can have the most inane, crazy ideas ever. And that's part of the discussion we're having already and have absolutely zero repercussions for it. Nobody's going to call you a nerd and beat you up and steal your lunch money over it. You can do it as much as you want. You can convince as many people as you want. And that same thing carries over into the group chats where people want to be liked by everybody who they've probably never met, probably never will meet. Half of them, they've never seen their face, but it's because they are bouncing their own consciousness off their inside of their skulls. And they're trying to get a response out of themselves, really. So yeah, I mean, they, they're going to hate you for doing something that they don't like because it threatens them. And it's that's, again, part of the science experiment. You can see people getting angry and you know, proverbially monkeys throwing their craps at the, at the walls of the zoo and be able to laugh at it because you're not part of it. And, you know, I, I definitely get why you wouldn't want to be in group chats because I don't like to be in them either, but they always get grouped into them eventually. I think it's very good that fate aligned for you two to be in this episode at this time. Since I guess I hadn't considered it fully before how uh, both of you approach social media as not completely impersonal, but also aware of the fact that you could step away at any time and your life really would not drastically dip in quality. It's a like a weird not ironic but uh emotionally yeah. detached a learning experience yeah but you're as, still as a famous as a famous instagram philosopher once said i'm on here to learn <laughs> i'm on here, I'm on <laughs> here also, to learn as i and i also have to agree with famous instagram philosopher that i'm also on instagram to learn also i'm just yeah i'm just killing time i don't really care if something were to happen if a shoe were to drop i would give it up completely and i really wouldn't care too much but yeah I, i'm a big ally of <laughs> eastern europeans we i'm really glad it. that i'm here today no, one thing one thing i want to riff <laughs> off is that regardless of whether yeah this we've the, seen people uh, or you know, know their faces or met up with them. We still perceive them as people, as social actors. And at the same time, like social rejection in apparently any way, shape or form um, essentially feels like physical harm. So it's not really um, surprising that, you know, people react um, aggressively to, to something that they perceive as some sort of social or bodily harm. Um, and I think this is really <laughs> apparent, especially, yeah. Right. I definitely, I want to riff off that too, because that made me think of something. I, I'm, I'm sure listeners and you two alike have probably been in the situation. If you have more than one social media and you have the same person on both social medias, I'm sure at yeah. some point you've ended <laughs> yeah. up talking to the same person and having two conversations going on at the same time. It, that is such a bizarre phenomenon. It can only exist on the internet where you are, I mean, these can be like best friends you've had for years, but once you start speaking to them through a username and a profile picture, 
you have like residual connection to them, but you're really connecting to their image. And you can end up having two co- completely separate conversations bouncing between two apps at the same time, and you're both talking to one person. And, you know, it, it's already bad enough that people are like stuck in their heads and they think they're the only person on earth that exists. Most people don't have like, I don't know, intermediary um, compassion that they can actually feel what other people are feeling and they can understand how people are the way they are. And multiply that by the fact that now you're not even speaking to real people. You're speaking to, you know, text boxes with usernames that aren't real names and profile pictures that usually aren't actual faces. And even if they were, it doesn't matter. You just, you kind of blur out the profile picture after a while. It becomes like a mass of pixels that you use to recognize them as like a call sign. And it's, you can gain a lot of, you know, friends that way by being on the internet but it ends up being such a weird social relationship especially if you ever end up meeting in person it's almost like you're meeting somebody entirely new even if you've known them online for years i i like that i like that you used the word images uh because i i feel like and and please take this with the, like like a brick of salt uh, i'm by i have never really read real philosophy in my life everything i know about philosophy i learned from theory gram shit posts but i feel <laughs> like i've seen where like uh philosophers even before like the advent of the printing press much less the internet mm-hmm. uh they speak of images and Things you see being a representation of an intangible thing, and yeah. I think I think when you are talking about internet communities, that is especially good because it it literally is images. It's not even like a metaphorical analogy <laughs> right. of an image. It's like it's literally pictures. You're looking at yeah. pictures all day. It is is literally the allegory of the cave in in real time, but instead of like fanned smoke and like shadows on the wall it's like bonby edits and like i don't know right wing drive edits and stuff like it's it is is kind of pathetic to think about it but i mean it's that is how humans act we are we are just reacting to our own minds and reacting to our own opinions not necessarily reacting to other people we're literally reacting to shadows on the wall the best analogy of the cave is that when you shout in a cave, it tends to echo, it will echo back. And right. like, like you said at the beginning, uh, the more adjectives and descriptors you add to your beliefs, the more you will shut out anyone outside until you have created a different kind of cave, just an echo chamber of your own beliefs. Uh, I don't know if either of you have ever played Metal Gear Solid 2, but uh, there's a very good... There's a very good line of dialogue from that game where that game is all about a an, a sentient AI network trying to control the flow of information on the internet to shape human beliefs. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they one of them says, uh, we aim not to control content, but to create context. People will slowly gather into a pool of people that share their beliefs and stagnate. And... Uh, be afraid to interact with the other stagnating pawns around them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think 
I think that that became a little too true. Both a both a ruthless AI controlling the flow of information, <laughs> but then rewarding people with this dopamine feedback uh, loop of just only interacting with people they agree with, and then cutting sections of those people off the internet, which extremify them even more away from everyone else. But I, but, but I think you're making like uh, um, a mistake, a logical mistake. If Look, I may, you, you know, you may say, go for it. Because this is, this is, yeah. Because this is, this really is how things are overall around here. But it doesn't have to mean that it has to be. Uh, like oh, it definitely doesn't have forever, to be like that. You know? Yeah, it's that's just, just. I was. I guess I was talking about yeah. how it just is i definitely it definitely could be better by all means but yeah and i and i think that we if we insist on on like respectful communication which is definitely hard um, more often than not um i think there are ways and i've seen this happen on theorygram that people have like uh the the reverse of double down they they halved the the their stances or the extremism of their position so you know i i think there are ways of going about this um but i think this is where like turning the other cheek and all of that plays in really really nicely and another thing that i want to like say is uh, the whole thing that you mentioned about images and we're just, you know, reading phrases and all of that. Like Gilles Deleuze, um, the, the French guy, um, he pointed out that a new philosophy that, would, that, could, that could work with the time constraints of capitalism uh, could work best with the use of a parole, like not, not the police <laughs> jurisdiction but like a, a, a phrase a catchphrase a, a short sentence something that mm. like catches the mind and also the mind will of course as always interpret it within like its own point of view and over time uh, when these pearls accumulate you don't have to hold them in your mind like consciously everything that you've ever uh, scene, but uh, it sort of kind of builds a common ground. If if things that you're saying are fair and true and all that, over time, those even those short sentences could like help us think better or uh, more fairly or in a more brotherly kind of way. So these two things I'd like. I like yeah that's very well that said. is that is excellent yes um you mentioned turning the other cheek which is obviously a a, a gospel phrase from the Bible um I, I I don't remember exactly what book of the Bible it's in but in in that same line of thought the phrase iron sharpens iron uh, I think is also a very important thing it, again in relation to 
not gating yourself by uh, building up these walls of uh, anarcho pee pee poo pooist beliefs. Um, uh, yeah, the the the, and again, this is so great. This is why I love having you both here. You're both very neutral observers to many different kinds of people. Uh, interacting, like having measured, reasonable, open-minded discussion and convey, respectfully conveying and respectfully receiving another person's perspective and your own perspective and uh, hopefully creating uh, some sort of synthesis out of that and uh, and I know Theory Graham loves that word because uh, everyone loves everyone in the world loves Hegel. Uh, mm. Marsha, mm. how do you feel about Hegel? <laughs> I haven't really read Hegel. Me neither. Um, but I've had <laughs> but I've had some conversations with uh, certain Hegelians, some more sensible than others. Um, and overall, um, I'm very skeptical of the whole like enlightenment project of humans somehow being very special, uh, destined to progress and um, all of that. So I, I, I would no comment on this question because I'm not um, I'm not an expert. I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about here. So not, I'm not. None of us are experts. Uh... But it is, it's fun to speculate. Yeah, but no, some very sensible people, on the other hand, uh, hate Hegel. Um, I would have to uh, talk to them a bit more. Um, but a lot of what Hegel talks about, uh, those notions of absolute and all of that, it just, to me, right now, it sounds kind of like a secularized religion, a religion that is, um, you know, got associated from the image or, um, you know, the, the ritual, the social practice. Uh, God kind of, it feels like it becomes all very intellectual, abstract and private, but I think it, um, it strips down a lot of what is really important in religion, at least for me. So I, I don't think it was, it was a, a great step forward in our understanding of anything. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I guess to uh, switch topics um, and maybe something a little more casual, uh, what, in both of your opinions, is the mark of a good politogram or theorygram account if such a thing exists? Deactivation. Okay. Complete deactivation. <laughs> I'm all gone. No more balls, no more graphs. Get them all out of here. <laughs> Get those lights off. <laughs> Get those lights off. Too bright. Uh, um, uh, if I, I'd like to riff on two things quickly before okay. we switch topics completely. Okay. Um, iron sharpens iron comes from Proverbs. Uh, there are three um, lines there that all kind of point to the same conclusion. Uh, 27.16 in Proverbs says, Whosoever would hide her would hide the wind, 
anointment of his right hand, which betrayeth itself, which out of context doesn't really make sense, so I'll explain it. Um, her, in the sentence, means their wife. So whoever hides their wife out of shame is trying to hide the wind, that they are a part of you. So whoever's trying to hide something that they believe in just because they don't like it so much, it'll come out eventually. Um, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Um, most Christians, you know, naturally think of that as a good thing, you know, tough love and all that. But iron sharpening iron is two blades sharpening each other, which means they both cut better and better the more they sharpen each other. And that's you know, the notion of um, an echo chamber is that when two people that believe in something extreme come together, they sharpen each other and make themselves more sharp toward the world, not more round. Um, they make themselves more aggressive and hostile rather than um, loving and open. And then the third one would be uh, 2718, still in Proverbs. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, so he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. Um, so whatever you care for and take care of, both mentally, physically, spiritually, it'll come back to you. Um, Hegel, um, I don't have much to say about him. I'll say some briefly, but I am not a big fan of philosophers in general because philosophy hinges on the notion that you can pin down a cloud. And that is what happens with philosophers. They try to, they have, a, they have an idea that pops in their mind, which is good. Everybody has an aha moment at some point. They think, some crazy thought. And they were like, how do I make this speakable to other people? So they will rationalize it. They'll boil it down until they eventually get to those sayings. And like, I think, therefore I am. It's very popular. It's very absolutist also, which is what I'm getting at here. Um, thought does not equate being. There's something else that equates being. You can feel that you are, even if you aren't thinking. But it's a very succinct phrase, you can say. Um, Kant, in his later life, when he got a little older, he got very absolutist in his ideals of what a sin is. And he thought that all sins were equal. So uh, an example that I've always heard from like philosophy classes in college was that um, yeah, if, if you are hiding somebody from an axe-wielding murderer, and the axe-wielding murderer comes up to your house and you say, did this person come into your house? To Kant, it would be morally wrong and reprehensible for you to tell the murderer, no, you have to tell him the truth. Obviously, that makes no sense. But the, the I don't know, the noumena of uh, having cognitive dissonance hinges on the fact that you cannot have any if you're a philosopher. You have to boil it all down using rational thought. And that is what um, Hegel prefaced. And he said, in the philosophy of right, I believe, he said, um, the rational is actual, and the actual is rational, meaning that the rational exists, and everything that exists is rational. And that's wrong. <laughs> it's, it's easy to say things are rational, but they're only rational if you don't rationalize them. You cannot try to boil anything down to something that it isn't, or it's no longer that thing. It's like trying to make a tomato by making tomato soup out of a tomato. 
you just have the tomato in your hand. You don't boil it. You don't fry it. You don't cut it up. You just have the tomato in your hand. It's the same thing with ideas. You have an idea. Don't chop it. Don't boil it. Don't rationalize it. Or you'll lose the idea that you began with. Yeah, um, I agree. Like, but yeah. back to back no, to yeah, politogram sure. accounts. Um, and, but this, and, is, uh, this is this is an this is an interesting like point because in extremism we are always dealing with like this or the other. Um, we are making statements apparently, mm. um, but a philosopher um, or not, um, Buddha himself said. Like, he was asked about the existence of a soul or free will or um, any any of those, like, big questions. And the classic Buddhist um, middle path response to that is, uh, let's say, the question of the soul. He said, like, there is a soul, but there also isn't a soul there at the same time is a soul and isn't a soul and at the same time it's neither of those so maybe like a practice yeah. of especially like this state of mind where we are open to all possibilities and not attached uh, personally with our identities to a certain statement i think this is a productive sense uh, especially like with conversations so that we can truly sharpen each other in in the sense of like becoming sharp not like being mentally sharp not yeah. not yeah, that was a good roundabout that was, that was good good job <laughs> good job incorporating previous great great good. job team but yeah let me <laughs> let me rephrase the question i had earlier uh specifically for you marcia because we know we know jt says shut them all down turn the lights off um when you are finding an account of any stripe to follow, uh, what are things that you look for that make an account uh, worth investing time into learning from and reading the post of? I think what connects all accounts that I follow is that they make fun out of things across the spectrum to to ridiculize like okay I, i'm slovenian but this has nothing to do with this um uh, an interesting point that zizek made is that you know in 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 this era where when we are living um there's this narrative that we are supposed to be like about every subculture, culture, and all of that, we are supposed to be like, oh my God, you are so special, unique, diversity, precious, blah, blah, blah. We are supposed to like compliment each other. Um, but he says, no, this is, this is, this is, this is wrong. And um, for him, true universalism is acknowledging like step one, that all culture or all, all particular ways of being in 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 themselves are essentially gross <laughs> there is something revulsive uh uh about each and every particular way of being so uh, this is this is what i like i like making i like seeing stuff that makes fun out of things that we might even consider normal at some point and to acknowledge this that 
none of this is um, like self-explanatory or necessary or um, natural. Like the notion of natural that we are like because we are lazy, we are mentally lazy. So many things appear natural to us, but the, the, it's quite the opposite. Things could be entirely different. So this is what I like making fun out of stuff across the board. Um, and this is what I try to like repost as well. Is that yes, I do. I, I do like that a lot of my favorite posts of yours are uh twofold uh sort of uh posts where it's like you have to understand both what is being made fun of to understand what they're making like to understand the joke you have to understand the like the sincere thing behind it uh yeah i guess yes and i i like that the layers of internet which 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 also has a history of its own you know at this point um i uh, yes I, I that's what that's probably yeah now you now that you've put into words the the what you repost and why you follow certain accounts that has made me enjoy your profile even more because i occasionally have to learn something to laugh at a joke and then realize the whole thing was just a joke <laughs> Good. Uh, I, recently, I I put one of your posts. I put one of your posts on my story where it was the Buddha saying, uh, "Get mad, get mad at memes and have fights with strangers." Yeah, I liked. I I very much very much enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. Um, I've learned basically like all of my lore about uh Buddhism and Hinduism from JT. Actually, he is a uh, the most knowledgeable white person about <laughs> Southeast Asian, That's Southeast right. Asian no, uh, polytheistic <laughs> religion that I've ever met. I, I don't or, think the Buddhists are polytheist, yeah, but I, I do get your point. To be, <laughs> or, or yeah, it, it could be argued that they are neither, and that they are both. And a secret third thing: some are polytheistic, and some are religions, and some are neither. Sick, but yeah, I I also I also do kind of agree with that posit that uh, it's better to you know look at something that is inherently not um, serious and very whimsical in the sense of like making fun of something. Like, uh, of course, the Buddha would never say you know get get angry and and <laughs> beat each other up or whatever. It, um, but the absurdity of it is is what gives it its breath and. I think being of the opinion of non, it's not like going back to the Buddha analogy of there is not no self and there is not self. There is a non-self. It is somewhere in the middle and it's also not in the middle and it's not even existent. Just get your mind off it. He's saying just don't think about it. And the notion of trying to keep things as absurd as possible kind of, kind of, refreshes our spiritual mind to the fact that you're not actually looking at anything that exists. You're just kind of putting your own opinion onto it and then letting that be your reflection and have that be your experience of it in reality. And I, I think it it's it's refreshing. It is refreshing to see, you know, memes that are obviously very ridiculous. Like 
Jesus arm wrestling Satan or Buddha telling you to um, kill people or something just ridiculous like that. Um, And I think I'd like to touch on the notion of reposting memes because I think that it's its own phenomenon. It's like, I don't know, like reading a newspaper and like laughing at the comics type of thing. And it's, it's how I feel when I, when I scroll through Tristan's story, especially it's like going to a nickel theater. I get to, I get to sit back and, and look at all the, all the brain wavelengths that Tristan was on at that particular moment. It's like, Oh, I can tell he just saw a Catholic meme and here's five Catholic memes. And here's, Oh, I, I can tell that he, uh, he watched an episode of twin peaks or something. And I see like five twin peaks memes or something So in that regard. Like I, I can see other people's brain lengths as they're posting. It's like in real time, I'm conducting an experiment on them to see like a cat scan of their brain. And it is kind of, it's, it's odd how we, it's not even like we're rationalizing an idea and putting it out there. It's not like we even have an idea. It's just, we see something that we resonate with in some regard and our first instinctual monkey reaction is like, I need to show everyone this instead of like being, being like a town crier in the 1700s, running into the street with a newspaper, like, Oh my God, you know, the British are invading. It's now it's you're reposting absurd, ridiculous pixels, but they have the same mental effect. Like people don't change. It doesn't matter what point in history you go into, but there's always going to be, you know, penises drawn on walls and graffiti. There's always going to be uh, porn drawn. There's always going to be the same sort of jokes. There's always going to be bar jokes. Like the first ever recorded joke was a bar joke. It's it's just it's how human nature is. We are we are cyclical. We are stagnant in the way that we act, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, we change little by little, but our nature is essentially the same. We joke about the same things. We laugh about the same things, and we do the same things. It's just now the way that we're doing things is very impersonal in the way that we're you know, reposting memes that no one will really care about. No one's going to like become enlightened out of those memes. People probably won't even laugh at them. Like Half the time you just scroll right past them. But there's something inherently personal about sharing the idea. It's as if it's a part of you and kind of reflects internet as a whole uh just for a a light-hearted moment and so that i can have the soundbite of me saying it uh i would like to read the first recorded joke ever uh many of you may know it but i want to say it anyway it's a sumerian joke uh, somewhere between 4500 and 1900 uh bc and the joke verbatim is a dog walked into a tavern and said i can't see a thing I'll open this one. That's the whole joke. <laughs> and it's a good joke. And I have, you, even I now, have, thousands I have no idea what it means, but now it's it's like filtered through probably so many languages at this point to get to modern American <laughs> English. <laughs> that that and, and we've we've reached like such a point of like detached absurdity, especially people who are uh you know for lack of a better term, perpetually online, that it's, I don't have to know. I just have to know it's a Sumerian joke about a dog walking into a bar in the year 4,500 BC and saying, I can't see a thing. I'll open this one. I don't know what it means. Uh, but uh, the, I don't know, is it, is, 
I, I think that's also let's Can let's I talk about language. A, a, um, short, a short. I'm a big fan of response it, to what was said earlier uh, by JD. Yeah, uh, like I I run a repost page. Uh, there are a few memes of mine, but very very few. Um, but the the logic behind it was that, you know. The meme culture itself is very instantaneous, very um, momentary. You know, a meme is popular at some point, and it might be a very thought-provoking piece of information or, or something, but it kind of, you know, it's there for a day or two, and then we forget about it. And this is, this is, this is what I, this is part of the, the, the project, if I may like call it that is that there there is some good content that's mm. not nearly shit posting that's not just like riffing um and i don't want it to be very momentary like very you know uh my goal is to remind ourselves that we are still um kind of within history that things have um, a permanent existence in some sense, so that there there are thoughts, even if they are three months old, uh, that need to be revisited to be maybe thought again through new lenses or the, the things that have happened to us in the meantime, and we might see it differently and all that. So there's there's this, um, but. At the same time, um, the, the Sumerian joke was—it was a shit post. I don't, I don't know what it, what it says. Of course, it's interesting that the first recorded joke was a bar joke, um, but <laughs> was it worthy of all the attention that it got for like I don't know? I think it was two weeks, or uh, I was really tired of it because there was nothing that could, you know, it, it wasn't preparing us for the future or our interactions with people or any of that so um the shit posting it's fun but i'm i'm not i'm not convinced that we live in a time um that's simple enough for shit posting to uh suffice yeah i think uh we we're, we're very detached from other people just in general and then the farther back in history we go, the more detached we get. Like everybody growing up thought that people back in the fifties grew up in black and white. Like there was no actual color back then because we see it. No, just television. Americans. Like, oh wow, it was, it was all black and white back then. You just guys got color updated like I don't know, fifty years ago. <laughs> I, yeah, probably. But it's it's a symptom of of the Albanian people have not gotten TV yet. That, <laughs> they still will have some. They thought yeah, people just exist one generation beforehand. I mean, that's um, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the the Sumerian bar joke, it's thought to be a double yeah. entendre yeah. of both. Let me open a window and let me open a, a bottle of beer. That's the main gist of it. Is that it's a double entendre, but it's a joke. In the same way that, like, I've touched on it before, but like sex scenes have been drawn throughout history in every culture for thousands upon thousands of years. And we will put them up in museums today. But back when they were drawn, they were like either made erotically or made as a joke. 
And we are doing the same thing now. And somebody 200, 300, 400, 1,000 years from now is going to get some record of our memes, of our beliefs, of our methods of exchanging ideals. I mean, they're going to pull up in some science class, in some futuristic class. They're going to pull up an Instagram story, and they're going to study it. Even though today we're just laughing at it. It's, it's absurd. It's the point. But to them, it's like, oh, man, they really must have believed this stuff. And I think, I think history kind of – history unravels like a, like a sushi roll, I guess. It's like something that was a thousand years ago is not the same thing now because we don't understand it. Because we, we try to like glorify it and we call it something that it isn't. But they were just humans. They just had different mediums of communicating the same thing that we try to communicate now. If you take a caveman and put him today and you teach him how to use a phone, how to speak English, he's going to end up doing the same things we do, just given a, enough time. And I, I think I, I will, um, going back, to, circling back again to the, the biblical quotes, I will quote, Ecclesiastes 1.9 What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. That's one of my probably one of my favorite Bible verses, especially the prayer that it kind of sort of gets written into. Uh, are you are you both familiar with the glory be? Um please refresh yeah, us. The glory be is the glory be uh, verbatim. One moment, let me pull it up so I say it exactly right. Uh, glory be your glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. I love the world without end. Everything it, this yeah, it does, everything the same. Yeah, everything the same forever. That's right. Uh, and they, yeah, yeah. Now I would uh, uh, jumping off of Sumerian uh, to. A quick thing about language, and then I think we move into the second the second half of the episode where we just be kind of silly. Um, language, uh, I guess, Marsha, you're good. You're a good place to start with this. Uh, you, I imagine you speak more than one language, and how does speaking? How has speaking multiple languages uh, changed the way you communicate with people as you learn those languages? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I speak four languages. I speak Slovene, obviously. Um, I speak Croatian because I spent some time there. Uh, I've learned French in high school, and I've been speaking English since I was five, I guess. And this is the thing that I have been thinking about recently a lot, and that is what a gift English was to me like as a person and what a gift to the world a universal language like English is because we get to communicate with so many different different people with so many different um, life circumstances and um, it, it's uh, I'm I'm so joyous that uh, I'm fluent in English the other two are just like kind of fun and uh, a European flex, I guess. <laughs> but overall, um, I, I I don't even remember 
um, learning English because uh, we had Cartoon Network and my grandmother taught me. So uh, I, I don't remember the experience uh, very well. So you, 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 you do think that you would be a drastically different person without the English Oh, language. definitely. Definitely. Like, uh, in, in all senses. I don't, I don't even know, like, in absolutely all senses. I personally don't speak any other languages conversationally anymore. I took three years of Spanish in high school, and I really enjoyed learning it and using it in the same way that you talk about how you learned English, uh, probably, m me definitely to a much lesser extent because I used it for such a short amount of time. But uh, I feel a different sort of emotion when I communicate in a different language. And I don't know if that's because it's the novelty of speaking that's something that's not my native tongue or if there's something uh, unspeakably beautiful about different languages. But uh, to 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 further that a little bit, uh, as a as a Catholic, we do a lot with Greek and especially Latin, and I think again those those languages carry a certain weird beauty to them. Um, JT, uh, do you have any uh, foreign languages under your tool belt in any way? I I don't. Um, a very basic knowledge of like. Spanish, French, and German, but not enough to speak, obviously. I know a little um, American Sign Language, but I think it, a great segue into this one is it's a good tie back, back into consciousness and echo chambers because um, just being able to speak with somebody in a different language or just speak somebody from a different part of the world and have a very small language barrier is a huge eye-opening experience because we are used to people who are around us that speak the same language and probably look like us, at the very least act like us. And to see somebody from a different part of the world and we can communicate with them is huge. Um, consciousness as a concept, as a universal principle, is inherently infinite. So trying to pin it down into one human body obviously takes away a lot of that infinitude and openness and um, expansion and to be able to speak to somebody in a different language it's almost like using telepathy in a way it's it's like you can finally understand somebody else who you would never be able to talk to normally which is why i'm not like a huge hater of the internet or anything because it does allow people to speak to other people in other languages even with a language barrier you can speak through you know translating apps and there's a lot of like spiritual significance in the fact that we can communicate with people who don't even share alphabets with us just because we can communicate in different ways. And I think humanity will continue to grow down that path and we will continue to grow closer and closer. I think it's almost inevitable we reach some sort of singularity and it's just, it's natural for consciousness to do that and merges back with itself people find people to love people find others to care about and we will eventually start you know loving people across the planet just because of the fact that we can and i think um 
even though I myself don't speak any language proficiently enough to speak to somebody else other than English, um, it'd be a huge blessing to be able to do so because I'd be able to accurately and succinctly be able to speak contextually in their context and not have a language barrier at all. And there's, there's something that happens when like somebody comes into a store and they don't speak any English and you're able to speak to them in some way. They light up because they feel like they're seen and they're heard. And the ability to speak another language to somebody is huge. And it lets them listen to you. It lets them hear you and you can hear them and you don't feel like you're miles away from each other even if you're right in front of each other's faces. That was very well put, JT Davis. I don't think I could agree anymore with what you're saying. Um, it really... That idea has spurned me to want to pick up either reteach myself Spanish, which would be the easiest, or just consider learning some like obtuse language like <laughs> some very specific uh eastern european dialect uh maybe marcia you could uh you could teach us you could teach us oh, all I slovenian wouldn't, i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't recommend that <laughs> you don't recommend no, you don't recommend learning you know, slovenian the, the three genders and there's singular and plural and there's also a special sentence structure if there's only two people involved and all nouns and all verbs exist in seven forms depending on what's happening to them also additional letters no don't 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 don't, don't learn slovene but also i i don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's crucial that you uh, that like English speaking people um learn I mean of course there is something that is untranslatable but I think English is the most important method of co communication in the global world and I think it, that if you want to communicate you actually already have the like most universal tool and I'm, I'm, I think it's that's okay. that's my position um, that speaking multiple languages is more like of a flex. Look at how cultured I am, or something like that. So you know, I, I wouldn't uh, personally, if I had to recommend anything, I, I'd say like read just stuff in whichever language that you're just that. Um, yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I think I will say um I'm a big fan of etymology and seeing yeah. where the roots of words yeah, come from. That is a lot um, of fun. Like Yeah. Like for example, um like the god Mithras, right? The sun god of originally a Turkish entity, Persian entity, who then became a very Roman god. Um came from a god of contracts from Iran in like a proto um, Zoroastrian faith. And that same god or the same title was then carried over into Buddhism in the name Maitreya, which is the future really? Buddha. And both of those names have the root 
word meaning of friend. And it is bizarre how, how a word like that can traverse thousands upon thousands of miles and have two divi divine meanings, or three divine meanings if you want to look at it that way, and have them all be in completely separate faiths that have never really talked to each other and don't share any actual beliefs with each other. Or the fact that mother in almost every language starts with the consonant M because it's the first uh, sound that a baby can make. That almost every language, it M is what mother stands for in their language. And it's not because of cultural change, it's just because of how we speak naturally. And etymology is, is, is such an interesting, I'm sure both of you agree, it's, it's so interesting to be able to see what the root of a word is. And yeah, there, there are some like untranslatable things in different languages, but the fact that etymology kind of lets us see how things were originally invented, like the root word of God, like before God meant like Abrahamic monotheistic God, God as a concept etymology used to just mean like a blood libel or like a libel that was poured out to the earth. That's all it meant. But eventually became something else. And it's interesting to see how language develops over time and how different languages picked up at different points in that time and they became different words. Um, like names, especially. Names are one of my favorite things to find etymologies for because it's cool to see how people, how they're named and what they're and birth chart looks like, I guess, name one. Yes, uh, I, you, you yourself actually helped me pick out uh, my my Catholic confirmation saint name. Uh, I did. Yes. My full name. I'm sure. I don't care if everyone knows it. Everyone who listens to this show already knows. Uh, my full name is. Uh, I'll, I'll exclude my last name. Uh, my 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 three names are Tristan Samuel Anastasius. Uh, uh, JT, if you could remind myself and the listeners what those three names mean uh, in your explanation. Yeah, sure. So um, Tristan, it's also like a, it's a Celtic uh, myth, but it comes from the French word triste, which means sad or melancholy. Uh, eventually it became a popular name due to that Isolde. myth of uh, uh, Tristan and... Isolde. Uh, Iceland. Yes. Um, and it's a very, it's a very nice name, but it just means sad or melancholy. And then, um, Samuel is obviously a, a, a biblical name and uh, most names are biblical, but, uh, Samuel comes from the Hebrew word Shem and El. Most, every name that ends with L usually comes from, um, Hebrew origins, but it comes from Shem and El, Shem meaning name. An elm meaning God. So uh, Samuel can be either seen as the name of God or God has seen you or God knows your name. And then uh, Anastasius comes from Greek. Uh, stasius, stasis, meaning being or aliveness. And then Anna, meaning again. So again, alive, meaning resurrection. Um, that's why Anastasius was given to a number of different saints because of the obvious... Christian tie-in, so the name Tristan Samuel Anastasius would be a man of sorrows, uh, the name of God, and then born again. And everybody can do that with their own name. If gentle listeners, 
you can all um, look up your own etymology for your own name and build a story out of it. And it usually ends up being something that you can do in your life to make your life better or a path that you can take. And everybody can do it because every name has some etymology unless it's a made-up name, but then just give it your own meaning if you want to. And but um, Oh, you got something else? No, go ahead. Uh, and to close out the first section, uh, the main topic of our, of our show this time, uh, everyone uh, come up with one book that uh, either means a lot to you or preferably uh, speaks the most to your particular uh, daily worldview. Like. Okay, thanks. So I think that from nonfiction, um, I'd say Gregory Bateson, uh, Steps to an Ecology of Mind. This is the most powerful, like the 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 mo- the book that gave me um, the most like general ideas about life. Um, it's it's very broad. Uh, it's cybernetics. Uh, theories of communication and being and all of that. In my defense, I study cognitive science, so um, <laughs> there's that. Uh, and I think my favorite fiction book would be East of Eden uh, by Steinbeck. I, I a very good one. All right, and JT Davis, you go ahead. And, you go ahead and pick two also. Okay, I'll also pick two. Um, I'm not a huge reader, so I mean, I'll go with books I have read and that I really enjoyed, and I've actually read more than once. Um, Fiction-wise, I guess I'll go first, would be Herman Hesse's Demian. Um, It's a book that follows a character, and he is greeted by a boy a little older than him named Max Demian, and he is like an enigma. He, They all go to like this Catholic school for boys and Max Demian always has these very poignant but obviously antagonistic beliefs that make the main character question his decisions and make him question what he believes the very beginning <laughs> the very beginning of the book follows um, Max running up to the character and he asks him did you hear about uh, Cain and Abel and he says well yeah of course uh, Cain was banished because of his terrible deed against Abel. And he brings up the poignant question, what if it isn't that he did something wrong, but that he was labeled by other people, and that Cain's mark was not a mark against him from God, but a mark for him, that he showed particular strength and particular individuality that his brother didn't share. And throughout the story, he continues to challenge his beliefs until he gets to the end. All right, don't spoil it now, because what if people read it? Oh, (laughs) I won't. And uh, your nonfiction book? Uh, um, The Red Book by Carl Jung. It's not an easy read, but I've read it. And it it is touchingly very nonfiction. It's not something you can make up. And it's not that I believe that he saw, like, actual universal truth or anything. But he definitely saw archetypes. And he got, Carl Jung, he got the idea of these archetypes by seeing them in real time in his brain. And he got to dive so deep into his own consciousness 
that he was allowed to meet different characters like um, Salome and Elijah. He got to meet them as 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 both father and daughter and brother and sister and um, two lovers. And he got to see how his own mind, his own deep, deep subconscious soul was speaking to him through these images. He had to speak to the dead that lived within him multiple times. He had to confront everything he'd ever repressed as real tangible things in reality that he had to actually face and put down. And he had become pregnant with the soul of the world that he had become a vessel for something new to come because he had cleared himself of any, uh, again, tying back to um, any, uh, I forgot the word I was using. When two ideas clash with each other. Okay. Cognitive dissonance. He got rid of any cognitive dissonance, any shadow that was within him by facing it. He got to see how every archetype he had ever lived through had rejoined as actual tangible creatures in his mind and he would ask constantly are you real are you real and he says they they would say to him i am more real than real life is wow that these ideas are the most succinct and true versions of what an idea could be and the whole read is is psychedelic in nature it's it's a beautiful yeah, read good, even it's though it's a, not it's written a, like a storybook it's a good book but can can i can i add something to anyone trying to read the red book probably it would be best if they revisited revisited or visited some of the other things like the archetypes and uh probably what's it called memoirs dreams reflections or what is it so maybe just like to have a baseline for Jung and then, you know, because it's very, he doesn't explain much there. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It just kind of gets right into him having like <laughs> a near death experience being his anima and it just kind of starts there. And it, it, it's not, I mean, the book is very expensive, obviously for a reason it's, he held it for many, many, many years without ever sharing it because he thought he would be ridiculed and pushed out of the psychological community just because of what he had written down and what he experienced. But he he brought up so many interesting points. He had so many interesting experiences with like very, very religious and spiritual experiences where he would understand his own soul to be like a star, a god that was yet to be born, and that the creator of the universe was Abraxas, the seven-lettered name God that rules over every day with both terrible joy and perfect hatred, that it was a union of opposites, very mercurial-like, that he had to break away from. And even if you don't believe or agree with anything that he says, his fervor and the way that he wrote it was very, very poignant. And again, I'm not really a big fan of philosophers in general, but the fact that he wasn't philosophizing at all and he was having a real genuine experience that he didn't understand at all makes me actually like it more. That he was going on a roller coaster ride and he couldn't rationalize it. In fact, it was his anima telling him to stop rationalizing and just see what I'm showing you. And that in itself is what made me actually like it. Because 
it wasn't some long-winded speech about how archetypes are actually based on childhood uh, traumas or something stupid. It was literally, here's what you've seen. Let me recontextualize it. And it's being written to him on his eyelids before he can even create it in his own mind. It's being created for him. Um, there are many works like that that are very, like, uh, I don't know, epic and uh, re relevatory in nature. Like Tristan was reading through uh, the Divine Comedy. Are you spoiling my book selection? I, you'll, 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 you'll explain it better than I will, and I'm not going to because I'm going to let you have that. But um, it's very similar in that aspect that you know he, he goes through his own hell to reach heaven, I guess. All right. Yeah, uh, on that note, I'll I'll do my books, and then we'll 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 move to the next section of the show. Um, so awesome. my pick for for fiction uh, is probably going to be J. I also haven't done much reading, probably even less than you, JT. Um, probably uh, J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye. Uh, probably just the time when I read it, it impacted me. Uh, seeing such a such an early and honest depiction of a of a young man in a world with uh probably it's it's probably that he has borderline personality disorder and like just completely unresolved traumatic issues in his life and when i read that that was exactly where i was i had recently been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and um and just how it feels like you're reading an actual person. Like it feels like the character himself wrote the book, uh, and that that was a wonderful experience for me. Uh, for nonfiction, I'm gonna say it. I think that the Divine Comedy is a completely uh, true to life book. Dante experienced all of that. Uh, even non-literally, uh, maybe it was completely in his head, but still, it's non-fiction to me. I, I have only finished Inferno, but still, that is one of the most beautiful and incredible things I've ever read in my entire life. Uh, mm -hmm. it is, it is so clearly biased <laughs> in his depiction of several different figures, whether positive or negative. But still, the the humanity with which he writes is is so maybe ahead of its time. I have not. I obviously have not read much early fourteenth century literature, especially poetry. But still, it holds up so well. And it, and reading it gives me another reason to hate Voltaire. Uh, Voltaire famously said. Um, Dante's fame will grow ever more only because no one has ever read anything he's written. And now I have read it and I can finally dunk on this this retard. Maybe uh, he was right though. <laughs> but uh, I I feel like a lot of high school wasn't there wasn't there a conquistador that like had like fought like 15 yes. battles over the best Italian author? And he confessed on his deathbed that he never actually he, read he Dante. Four, he approved he killed, Voltaire. He killed right. 14 people arguing that Dante was the better writer. And yeah, on his deathbed, he said, I've never read Dante. Another score for Voltaire, I guess. Hell no. Don't give him anything. 
Uh, okay. He was and right. now to I'm going to make this last section very brief because this is actually almost <laughs> twice as long as the longest episode so far. Um, since Vinny is not here to give us a fun fact about metal, uh, JT, I want you to give us a fun fact about deer. Okay. Um, well, uh, they they live on every continent except for Antarctica. They are one of the most prevalent mammals on Earth. Um, there are different. There are over sixty different species of deer worldwide. They are the only sort of animal that grow um, antlers, except for the Chinese water deer. Chinese water deer do not grow antlers. There's a whole town in Japan that is dedicated to these deer and they walk in and out of stores and they're given treats and food and they're completely domestic because of the fact they are given free food all the time. Um, they can jump up to 10 feet high and they have a degree of vision of 310 degrees. That is fantastic. JT Davis. There's also a seven-foot-tall deer that went extinct 11,000 years ago. Can we bring it back? I, Unless we do a Jurassic Park situation, I doubt it. I think uh, there should be deer um, as big as the biggest building. Oh, my. Maybe just one. Maybe one, deer that, maybe one deer that's that big who's allowed <laughs> to just do whatever he wants. And it's going to be me. Isn't the game Deer Simulator based around that? Uh, I can't say I've ever played Deer Simulator. I've not either, but I, I've seen enough of it. It does exist, and it's yeah. it's basic. It's very akin to Goat Simulator in that it's just a very nonsense game where you just happen to be an a four legged uh, animal. Oh, it's new. It's new. Um, and mm. there's just a lot of jokes, a lot of a lot of jokes based around the fact that you're this four legged animal in each game. It's a um, slow life town destruction game. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> it says that. It, it says that. True. If JT would JT would start clapping like JT would clap as loud as like the horns of God during the second coming of Christ if he saw deer just destroying civilization. I would. I really would. Uh I'd become a big fan of that deer. You're already a big fan of all deer. Uh, Marsha, you you probably saw this post when you followed my personal recently. Um, the photo of my car with the front end just completely crumpled in. Um, that was when uh, JT telepathically communicated to a deer to destroy oh my. my car. Oh my! Yep, it's true. I was I was driving home from work and a deer just kamikazed into the road. And I hit it at probably somewhere between Are forty-five okay? and sixty miles an hour. And yep. yeah, I was—I okay. didn't get hurt at all. But my car, oh, the, the car, did. the car, the deer <laughs> launched like fifteen feet into the air, <laughs> and the front of my car just collapsed in on itself. And as I was trying to get to civilization to park it, it was just billowing smoke. It's still in the driveway because it's yeah. immovable now. You see, if the deer had jumped at the right time, he could have hit upwards of 25 feet in the air. If he had jumped at the right time, he would have been at the height where he would have just gone through the windshield and killed me. 
I think that would have been preferable to driving that terrible car around. I like that car. It was comfy. It also, <laughs> I don't it, think God agreed. It also that. had a like particular, <laughs> like unidentifiably good smell. It smelled like if okay. everyone's grandparents' houses were just inside of, my car. Oh, every awesome. every grandparent in the world were were in my car. Mm-hmm. And there's still a bunch of my stuff in that car that I've never gotten out. So if I went into that car right now, it would be like it would be like finding like lost pirate treasure. I'd be finding like doubloons in that vehicle. I, I never had to break for a deer, but I but I see them often uh, all the way back in around April. here. Um, and we eat. Yeah, they're always on the side of the road, either going to cross or. You know, um, already crossed. So maybe, maybe it's the fact that I drive slower than Tristan. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that. Yeah, I, I live. I live in a very rural area, so the speed limits are just naturally higher, or oh. just don't exist. Um. All right. So this has this has gone actually about an hour and a half. Um. Do either mm-hmm. of you have any? Uh, Awesome closing statements before I before I stop recording. I don't. How about you, Marsha? No. Anything anything you would like to I wanna to say? I wanna reinforce what uh, Mr. Davis has said about philosophers. Uh, he quoted the Bible a couple of times, but the first time um, was like um, a thing that you repress and it comes back in in some sense um hiding your wife is like hiding the wind yes yeah yeah um and (laughs) it's clear that what freud said i don't know three thousand years later uh is essentially the same thing and when we said um you know um, world without end nietzsche at the same time also said the same thing so we are basically reinventing, rephrasing, and all of that, maybe we should just um, study study what has been said in the past when they didn't have all of what we have to distract us, um, so that we don't have to get like lost in, in these um, mental cognitive dissonances. So this is what I wanted to say earlier, and I'm still going to say it now because we're over time anyway, so... That's what I wanted to say, and that's that. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, I did yeah, see fun. in your in your comment section, you said you broke your no podcast streak. Uh, to be here tonight. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a rule that I I, I don't do wow. I don't listen so- to podcasts and all of that because I've I've heard so many different excerpts where. People just go off about random. They're they're shit posting, but they're talking, um, and I don't wanna. It's very hard for me to start something and then put it away. I have to do it till the end. And if this happened to me during listening a podcast, I would be very frustrated. And I really hope that we weren't these people today. No, so I think it. I think it. I think. It, I think we. I think we bounced back to the same I, idea I think a lot it, of times. I think we yeah, made a lot of good circles. There were a lot of callbacks, but they were all everything that was said 
up until I intentionally broke off with it. Like, like my my format for the show is generally half the episode is this set topic. The other like there's a middle section where we where Vinny does a fun fact about metal, and then the last half is just sort of banter. Um, and then usually we have a famous movie critic who wishes to remain anonymous who comes on the show and he tells us his review of the movie of the week. And like I said, this this movie that Poor he guy. watched this week was so bad that he is in the hospital. Um, but they say he'll be out uh, probably tonight. Good. Um, but yeah, thank you for being on here. Uh, JT Davis, thank you for substituting for Vinny. Um, every, uh, I, to both of you, I think the episode should be out in the next hour and a half. And, and then I will tag you both in a story post that you can repost for your, uh, followers should you want to. All right. right. Cool. Everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.